next year and a half to two years, depending on how well Pete Shepherdstein does all of this. And you remember the Lord interrupted our series to speak to us about what I believe is the most vital issue in our lives individually and in the life of the church and for the purpose of the gospel. It's a doctrinal issue, but yet, like everything else in the Word of God, but especially this particular one, it's a doctrinal issue which is most important to become very personal with us. So hopefully as we have been being reminded by God concerning pursuit of His presence and the necessity of His pronounced presence in our lives, we have been doing just that. Hopefully we have been experiencing in a greater way the good and the power and the effectiveness of God's presence in our lives. And this morning we continue with this theme because I don't believe the Holy Spirit has at least released us from going in a different direction. We don't know what next week will bring, but at least for this week we continue with it. And as we emphasize the presence of God, this morning felt the Holy Spirit wanted us to emphasize the presence of God is a person. The presence of God is a person. Hopefully, the Holy Spirit will say something this morning that will be significant to you and you will be ready to take notes and have your pen and paper or your outline. I don't know whether the outlines got distributed this morning. Perhaps they didn't. Maybe a glitch, but whatever. But more than anything else, as we deal with this particular subject, as we listen to what the Lord is saying to us, the presence of God can very easily become just a very general kind of a ethereal kind of a thing. God is with us. God, the presence of God, that's it. And yet when we look at the Bible, from the very beginning in the pages of Genesis all the way through to the climax in Revelation, the presence of God is among His people certainly in a very general way. But when the presence of God shows up personally, personally, by God Himself and in us personally, everything changes. I was listening to a program the other day on the radio and they were interviewing some folks as, what is your purpose in life? And, you know, I don't know. Isn't, you know. And, and, and actually, there was a song that the lady had written concerning, we don't know our purpose, but we need to just continue to do whatever it is in life. And however you float along, not knowing your purpose. But you see, every person who is created has a particular purpose. Why has God made us? He's made us. God has made us this way. To need and to want His personal, intimate relationship. Him as a person. 
intimately involved in our lives. How many of us know that upon the death of a loved one or friend, we feel that ripping and extraction from us that causes us to deeply mourn? There's something about personal relationships. It's not only that we want them, we got to have them. Except for very unique and few people, we are called to be people who are connected to other people. Why are we so needed, needy and driven for personal experiences and relationships? Why? <clears throat> because God made us this way, and it's a revelation of our need, not only in a natural way, but more importantly, in a spiritual way. We simply need the intimate, personal relationship with God Himself. We have to have this. Otherwise, we are not the people that we were created to be, and we will never become the people that God has desired us to be. So God's desire from the very beginning is that He would dwell in His people. Not only with in a general way, but in His people. But you remember what happened. In the book of Genesis, in chapter 3, it is recorded that God walked with Adam in the cool of the evening. Again, indicative of that, indicative of that personal relationship, and Adam sinned. And as a result of the sin of Adam, God removed Adam and Eve, not only from the Garden of Eden, but from the intimacy that he was enjoying and that they were enjoying as a result of sin. The intimacy of the person of God with Adam and Eve was broken. But aren't you glad God made a promise? I'm coming back. I'm coming back. And I'm coming back for my people to dwell in them. Not only with them. I'm going to be with them for a long time. For thousands of years. But I'm coming back to be in my people. So once again, I can have a people in whom I am personally connected and personally relationed and who personally know me. So he, he promised to restore his personal presence in man. And he promised it this way, through the seed of the woman. The seed of the woman, as is reported in Genesis 3, 14 and 15. Saying that the seed of the woman one day will crush the head of Satan. The seed of the woman. One day, God's personal presence is coming. And the New Testament identifies who this seed, this person is. The New Testament tells us in Galatians chapter 3, verse 16. Again, you may want to write down the reference if you're not automatically and already knowledgeable of this. But who is the seed? Who is this promised seed over the years and years and years and years? Who is he? Well, Paul tells us who he is in Galatians 3, 16. He says... Now the promises were spoken to Abraham. You remember in Genesis 12 and 15 and 18, God makes these great declarations that in your seed I will bless all the nations of the world. Your seed. And 
Paul having a revelation from the Holy Spirit as to what the meaning of that Old Testament prophecy is. He says, now the promises of God were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say seeds as referring to many, but rather to one and to your seed. And Paul says, the name is Christ. That is Christ. Let's turn in Jeremiah chapter 31. You remember Jeremiah, the Old Testament prophet who is raised up by God to be the last great prophet to the nation of Judah before the Babylonian captivity. And he is prophesying the reason for the destruction that is coming. And not only the reason, but the promise you're going to get destroyed and you're going into captivity for 70 years. But do not despair, for the promise of God to send the seed is going to be fulfilled even though the days look dark and it looks like everything is over and all the promises of God are no longer effective. There is the seed of the woman still coming. He makes the promise, as we read in Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 to 35. Behold the days of coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. They will not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. God has made a promise. Thousands of years. Thousands of years waiting for the promise man is. And God is relentlessly moving. And then it happened. One evening, in the cool of the evening, their group of shepherds tending their flock outside of Bethlehem in the hillside. It's a normal evening. The stars are shining. There's a nice breeze. Shepherds are chatting with one another concerning the activities of the day what they hope to do tomorrow. Life is moving along as it always has. Everything is normal. They don't anticipate a single change in the events of their lives. And as they're out there in the evening under the sky, suddenly... Something happened. Suddenly the sky lit up. Now think if you're there and you're one of those men. All of a sudden the sky lights up. And appearing before you in the sky is an angel. And you're afraid. And you should be afraid. And the first message 
The first message of the coming of the person of God into our presence is this. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Why? Because I bring you good news of a great joy, which shall be to all the people. For unto you this day is born in the city of God a Savior who is Christ the Lord. All of a sudden, intruding and coming into their lives is the declaration that the presence of God will now begin to come to us in a person who will not only dwell with us, but dwell in us who are His people. So many years have passed. And finally, God's personal presence promise is fulfilled. And you will find the baby wrapped in cloths. And you will find the child lying in a manger. Finally. Finally. The great purpose of God from the beginning, which was moved away from because of Adam's sin, is now going to be accomplished. Who is this child? What's his name? Who is he? This one whom we celebrate during this season. Who is he? In one place, his name is called Emmanuel. And when the great prophet says Emmanuel, he has a revelation from God in the Old Testament, which is not the general experience of the people. Emmanuel meaning God is with us, but not only with us, but He is going to be with us in a very intimate and close and even closer than your breath way. God is with us. Not just God's going to be with you. God is with us. Who is He? Who is He? He is the restoration of the personal love of God. He is the restoration of the personal work of God. He is the restoration of the personal kindness and goodness and protection and provision and leadership of God in our lives. Who is He? You remember I said He has been promised since the very beginning in Genesis chapter 3. Who is He? He's declared all over the pages of the Bible in Genesis. He's the seed of the woman. In Exodus, He's the Passover lamb. In, Num in Leviticus, He's our high priest. In Numbers, He's the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. Who is He? In Deuteronomy, He's the prophet like unto Moses. In Joshua, He's the captain of our salvation. In Ruth, He's our kinsman redeemer. Who is He? In First and Second Samuel, He's our trusted prophet. In Ezra, our faithful scribe. In Nehemiah, the one who rebuilds the broken down walls of our lives. Who is this one who has been promised to us over the years in Psalms? He's our great shepherd. In Proverbs, He's our wisdom. In Isaiah, He's the Prince of Peace. In Jeremiah, He's the righteous branch. Who is He? 
Who is this one who has been promised? In Daniel, he's the fourth man in the fiery furnace with his people. In Hosea, he's a faithful husband. Amos, the burden bearer. And in Zechariah, he's the son of righteousness risen with healing in his wings. Who is this one who has been promised since the very beginning of time? Who is he to be personally impacting and residential in our lives? Who is he from the New Testament? Who is he? In Matthew, he's the Messiah. In Mark, he's the servant of God. In Luke, he's the son of man. In John, he's the son of God. Who is he? In Romans, he's our justifier. Galatians, he is the redeemer from the curse of the law. First and second Thessalonians, he's our soon coming king. In first Peter, he's the great shepherd of the flock. And in Revelation, he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. This is who He is to be our personal presence, the intimacy of God in us. This is who He is. Who is He? In Matthew 1.21, the angel said, You shall call His name Jesus, because He shall save My people from their sin. Who is this great One? This One who will bring all the presence and power and glory of God to us as a person in us, as a living person in me. You see, Christianity is not an issue of nebulous religion. Christianity is our personal, for me personally and for you personally, to know, to experience, to interact with, to benefit from, to rejoice in, to walk with this great transcendent being of eternity whose name is Jesus. This is who He is. You see, God paid the greatest price in order to have the greatest reward. He paid the greatest price to have the greatest reward. What is this reward? What reward is God after? What is it that He is after for Himself? And what is it that He is after for us? You know, so often when we speak about rewards from God, we think about, at least initially, about the reward that we are going to receive. But that's not the initial and most important reward. There is a reward for God first, and then we have a reward. What is this greatest of reward? <clears throat> Simply put, it's the joy of God's love for us. Whose joy? God's joy. Listen to the Scripture again. Listen to what it says. Luke 2, 13 and 14. 
And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is well pleased. Remember the angel said, There would be unto you a great joy. For behold, I bring you good news of a great joy. Whose great joy? God's great joy of being able to share Himself with His people. Whose great joy? Our great joy. Listen to what Isaiah 9, 2 and 3 says. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. How many of us have seen a great light in our day and have been saved? I remember the day the Lord touched me. It was like the lights went on and I didn't even know what I was saying. Didn't know that was scriptural, Matt. Just knew the lights went on. The great light has dawned into the life of a man who had been living in darkness and God turn on the million-watt bulb, and all of a sudden, everything was changed in my life. And many of you can say that this morning. You shall multiply the nation. You shall increase their gladness. This is whose joy also. They will be glad in your presence as with the gladness of the harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. Whose joy? What joy? How many parents and grandparents this morning are joyfully anticipating, and if you're like I am, you can't wait until the morning comes or the evening whenever you do the presents? How many of you are anticipating that with great anticipation? You know why? Well, because my children are going to be filled with joy. Yeah, but that's incidental. The reason we get so excited about it is our joy over their joy of receiving the joyfully purchased gift that we have given to them. Amen? You see, Christmas to me means so much more than it ever did mean as a kid. And now you begin to experience what it must have been to this great God who is our Father. What joy He had to experience on the day that Jesus was born into the life of man. What joy. I have just given them the greatest present which cost me the greatest amount that anyone could ever have and ever pay for. What a joy it is for God. Why? Because He knows that as we receive that present from Him, we are going to be filled with His joy. And there's nothing more that pleases God than when His children are pleased as they receive His gifts from Him. Now come on, church. Isn't that how you feel on Christmas morning? 
Now you remember this when you wake up and your little ones open the presents or your wife opens that present that you've been hiding from her for so long or your husband opens that present that you have diligently searched for and listen to your heart and feel your heart and enjoy that and remember as you are enjoying that and savoring it, remember this. This is just an inkling of what my God felt when Jesus was born into the world. You see? No greater present. Keith last week talked about wanting. You see, we will do what we most want to do. You have four things in front of you that you want to do. Which one are you going to choose? The one you want to do what? The most. And to the extent that you and I are experiencing the joy of God. When the joy of God begins to get a hold of you. When the joy of God begins to rumble through your hearts and begins to touch the areas of your life. When the joy of God begins to get into the recesses and the closets and finally begins to cleanse you and release you from all the muck and mire that you have been filled with over the years, when the joy of God begins to flow in you like a river, and that slimy, slithery snake comes a-crawling into your presence to offer you something that would disturb or interrupt or in any way get in the way of that joy, the power of that greater desire will crush his head, and you will say no to sin. How do I know that? Been there, done that. Oh, Peter, you're great. No. God. This is God. You see, there's no way to overcome sin outside of the joy of the presence personally of God in my life. And to the extent that Jesus is real in me will be the extent of the power and the effectiveness and the overflowing work of His joy because He Himself is my and our joy. He is the joy of God in us and for us. There's no greater power than the joy as a result of receiving the love of God. What are a few examples of this? What are some examples? Turn to John chapter 4. We're not going to read the whole story. But I would recommend and encourage you to read the story later on. Let me just throw this in as you're turning to that. Put down in your notes Luke 15. There are three stories in Luke 15. The lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. And in each one, what is accentuated and what is central to each of the three stories is not the lostness, but the joy over recovery. So write Luke 15 down and, and this passage down. Do you remember the story? Jesus comes into Samaria to a city called Sychar. I must go through Samaria, which is another deal in itself. And he comes to the well, and the lady is coming to the well at noon. 
Women didn't draw water out of the well at noon. You did it either in the cool of the morning or the cool of the evening. This lady comes at noon, which means that she is not accepted by the other ladies of the, uh, the city. She is an outcast because she is a lady of many friends. For those of you who may have young ones with you, she gets around. And Jesus begins to engage her in conversation. And they go back and forth in the conversation. And finally, Jesus says, hey, hey, why don't you go get your husband? Uh, well, mm, uh, mm, I don't have a husband. The man, you know, whatever. Jesus says, the man you're living with isn't your husband. You've had all these guys. <gasps> Are you a prophet? And here is a man who sits before her revealing all of her sin. How would you like someone to come before you and reveal all of your sin? Just, just lay it out in front of you. All the hidden things. Um, kind of don't go near that person. What happened, though, as a result? What, result? what was the result of the personal encounter of this woman with Jesus Christ himself, the Son of God, God made flesh? Look at verses 28 and 29 in chapter 4 of John. This is what happened when this woman experienced not only the general presence of God, but the personal, intimate, directed presence of God. And the woman left her water pot, her old life, her old water pot. She left it and went into the city and said to the men, Come see a... What? A man. A person. Come see a person who told me everything I have ever done. <laughs> Is this the Christ? What excited her was not that she was in face-to-face -face relationship with God who was able to tell her everything. I don't know whether that would excite any one of us except the fact that when she encountered the person of God in Jesus Christ who exposed all of her sin, He did it in a way of redeeming her and forgiving her and cleansing her. And she rose up as a woman who had been laden with sin and filth and everything else over these years and rose up as a woman who was totally clean by this Word, by this man's personal encounter, uh, encountering Him. And she ran into the city with joy to say, you've got to meet this man who so deeply and personally and effectively and freely freeing me touched my life. I've met a man. Have you met a man this morning? The heavenly man, Jesus Christ. Have you, have you met Him? Do you know Him this way? Not only was she impacted with the joy, look at the city. Verses 39 to 41. Look what happened to the city. What happens when you and I are personally involved with the Lord Jesus on a regular basis? What is the result not only in my life, but what's the result out there in the world? Verses 39 to 41. From that city, many Samaritans believed... There's nothing more infectious than the pronounced presence of God in our lives. It's a magnet pulling in those who would be the redeemed. It's a magnet. 
from that city, many Samaritans believed in him because of the word, not only of a verbal word, not something only stated, but something that was flowing from her. She was exuding an excitement, a joy, a freedom that she had never experienced and exuded previously. Something is different about you-know-who. What's the difference? She met a man. She had a personal encounter. Have we had that encounter? And to what extent? And to what depth? A man who testified, the, uh, the word of the woman who testified, he told me all the things that I have done. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with them. And he stayed several days there, two days later. And you remember what happened? Many of them were saved. Personal presence of God changes me and changes you and changes those who come near us. You see, there's no greater experience than knowing God personally. Personally. Not generically, but as they say, me and God. You've got to have a me and God experience. You have to have a me and God experience. Is it okay to say it that way grammatically? You have to have, you've got to have a me and God experience. If you don't have that, you cannot have what God has promised. See, here's where the glory of God is expressed. The glory of God, the glory of God, the glory of God. The glory of God is expressed in the midst of a joyful people over their God. You show me children who joyfully help mom and them with the housework. And that shows parents who are raising their kids effectively. You show me children who are grumpy about it, something's wrong. Now, I understand there may be... There's also the joy of a new walk, of a new way of living. Turn to Acts chapter 3. There's not only the joy of being redeemed, there's the joy of a new walk. A new way of walking. Walking in the Bible means your way of life, your thoughts, your attitudes, your motives, your desires, your actions. Everything about you is your walk. Nothing is left out of that word walk. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour. The ninth hour is the hour of prayer. Here it is. A man who had been lame from his mother's womb. A man who was not able to walk with God and who was not walking in intimacy and personal relationship from the day he was born. You see, we were all born lame, unable to walk before God and with God. Amen? All of us were born as lame people. There it is, a picture in a visible, real activity, but also a picture 
And the man had been lame from his mother's womb and he was being carried along. I know what it is to be carried along by sin. Do you? I am not going to be carried along by sin anymore. And I am not carried along by sin anymore. I don't say I don't sin. I'm not carried along by it anymore. Are you? You don't have to be carried along by it. The personal presence of God in Jesus Christ releases us from having to be carried along by it. What is our walk? What is our daily life? And the man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along, whom they used to set down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, in order to beg alms of those who were entering the temple. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple, he began to ask alms. And Peter, along with John, fixed his eyes on him. And he said, look at us. And said, he finally, good, someone, I got the attention. I got the gaze of these people. I'm expecting a 20 today. The man stopped looks at these two men, they stop, look at us. Can you imagine what he's thinking he's going to get? Some real cash today. None of these 25 cent things that sometimes we want to throw in for the people, but he's going to get some cash today. This is going to be a banner day for him because he's going to get some cash. Now, you know what the man was thinking, right? But Peter said to him, I don't have any money. Thanks a lot, brother. All I need is this religious talk. I need cash. I need real help. I need cash. But the personal presence of God always brings us what we genuinely need, not what we think we genuinely need. Peter said, look at me. I don't have any money. No silver and gold, but that which I have I give to you. In the name of the personal presence of God, in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And what happened? He took up that pallet and he went walking and leaping and praising God. Walking and leaping and praising God. Is that the life that we live? To the extent of the personal presence of God in my life. When that personal presence is pronounced in my life on a regular, daily, continuing, pursuing basis, I, we, will walk through life walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw this and were amazed and gave their attention to the Gospel. Some of the worst things I have ever done is open my big mouth in the flesh and start spouting off what I thought, and then the Lord real, reminds me, you may have just ruined an opportunity to share the gospel. Now, there can be a gospel sharing in that, but isn't it a shame that they can't see the joy of the Lord? Let us be careful about our walk. Everyone is watching. Let us be a people that if our walk isn't this way, let us ask and pursue God that I want to walk, that I leap and praise God, and that I am a person filled with the power of God's joy. And how will you know it? You will experience it in yourself, and you will experience the people coming to you and wanting to know more about the reason you are the way you are in the midst of what's going on around here. It's not only the joy of a new walk. It's the joy of overcoming the storms of life. John chapter 6. 
verses 16 to 21. The storms of life. How many of us have experienced some of those storms? How many of us may be in the middle of a hurricane spiritually, financially, emotionally, mentally, relationally? Where are you today? Do you need that personal presence of God with a what? In Christ, I have God. You know, I lived that way for many years, and I certainly did. Yes, indeed. The first day I was saved, I had the Holy Spirit. But there's a big difference between having the Holy Spirit and having the experience or the pronounced presence of Jesus in my life. There's a huge difference. Night and day. Positionally, we have Him. Practically is where we had the difficulties, the storms of life. Now, when evening had come, His disciples went into the sea. Now, how many of us know that at nighttime, things seem to be worse? You ever have a storm come during the day? Eh. But at night when it comes, it's worse. We went through Hurricane Betsy at night. It seemed worse than Katrina, which hit here about 8 o'clock in the morning. It was a bad storm, but man, it's not that bad. But at night, everything is dark and closed in. And, you know, it's just like, you see, this is how and what will happen if we don't have the personal presence of Christ in our lives. It will seem as if our light, remember the great light that has shone into us, is becoming darker. And when it gets dark, come the storms because the storm is accentuated in all of its aspects at night don't you see you, you didn't catch that don't you see night it's and so and getting into the boat they started across the sea to Capernaum it had already become dark and Jesus had not yet come to them oh Jesus was always with them but his personal presence in a pronounced way wasn't there at that moment. And the sea began to be stirred up because of the strong wind was blowing. And then they had rowed about three or four miles. They saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near to them. And they were frightened. And he says, it is I, do not be afraid. So they were willing to receive him into the boat. And when they received the personal presence of Jesus Christ, asking for it, pursuing it, receiving it, identifying it, what happened to the storm? It dissipated. Now, that's a physical storm. Our storm may not dissipate in its activities. But I can tell you one thing. The joy of the Lord will cause you and me to be able to walk on top of the water as Jesus did. As He walked over the circumstances, so can we. He was in the much as much in the middle of the storm as were these men in the boat. What was the difference? He was walking above it. And because of his personal, intimate, unbroken relationship with the Father by the Holy Spirit, he not only was walking above the storm, he was in charge of the storm. It's about time that our circumstances, which rule us so often, begin to become those which we rule by His presence. 
It's about time that we rise up in the personal presence of our God and not allow the circumstances to rule us. I didn't say don't let them come in, but when they come in, let us take them by the throat and let us deal with the circumstances of our lives in the name and in the power of Him who overcomes the circumstances. Good night, church. It's about time that we stop living under the circumstances. I'm talking more about me maybe than anybody else. My wife would tell you that. But it's just time to start walking the way God wants us to walk. And we can do so because we have the personal presence of God in us. His name is Jesus Christ the Lord. Now, is it true or not? We're about to build a building. We have difficulty in attendance. We have difficulty in giving. We have difficulty in a commitment. Where is the personal presence of God to overcome those things? Gene and I made a commitment of a certain amount of money. Two weeks later, guess what happens? Old slithery, slimy snake comes a-knocking. Do you think you better do that? Because we got some financial needs now. How you gonna do that? How you gonna do that? Because you got financial needs now. And we had to make a decision. And if I go bankrupt over it, we are going to give what God said to give. Why? Because God is greater and worthy of being praised that way. Lord, if you haven't lived that way, if you're not living that way, rise up today. Stop saying Jesus, Jesus, and hallelujah, and all that stuff. If you're not willing to let Him be the man in you who causes you to rise up above the circumstances of your life. Don't be hypocritical anymore. Let's be a different kind of a church. A church that the world can look at and say, that's a strange bunch of people, as Peter talked about in 1 Peter 2, 9. Strange bunch of people. So they will know the power of our God. I, high time we change. Stop piddling around with this stuff. Go home and ask God, is what you have done in my life worth commitment to what you will do in others' lives and in mine in the future? Is it worth it? Well, I can give them $10 more. Aren't you glad that God is not parsimonious? You know what the word means? Stingy. Lord, aren't you glad He's not parsimonious? We sit here on our fat wallets. My mind ain't that fat. It's fat compared to many. I think you better question. I better question the, the viability of the presence of God in me if I live this way. I need to move along. The joy of not only a new walk of salvation, the joy of Jesus' return. He's coming back. If you were here today and you don't know He's coming back, He's coming back. Five times more prophecies about His return than the first coming. He's coming back. Listen to these words of joy from Paul. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed in us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly, joyfully, 
for the revealing of the sons of God. He's talking about the return of Jesus. I walked for years as a believer, if I can say it this way, as a nominal believer, just kind of moving along, not really dealing with the issues of sin, motives and attitudes, desires and actions and stuff, you know, just kind of moving around a little bit, dealing with something, just really, you know, kind of like that for years. I even allowed God some of my time. Some of you are allowing God a little time. You better be glad He doesn't fry you for it. You're allowing God some energy, some time, allowing God a little of your money, allowing God a little of your service, allowing God a little of your covenant group meeting, allowing. That's what we're doing. We're allowing God. And then we went... Keith and I did in November of 97 to check out PDI at the time, Sovereign Grace. Never had I been in that kind of an experience. Not just praise. That wasn't it. I've been in places where everybody, you know, in fact, I've been in places where they actually had better praise, I think, or at least louder. Wasn't it. What I saw there and experienced there was the power of the grace of God and what it was for in my life to break the activities of sin. Not to tolerate their continuance, to break the activities of sin in my life. Since then... I can tell you that Jesus has been more real to me in these last whatever numbers of years it is, ten years or nine or whatever they have, than ever before in my life. And I've been saved since 64. It's better today than it ever has been. And I pray and expect that it will be better next week and next year and ten years and twenty years and thirty years should I live that long. Be like Cecil Wagner. Go to his reward snorting like a bull for Jesus. Yes, indeed. Not giving up a little bit of anything for the glory of God. Amen? I began to realize that toleration of sin was not acceptable to God. You know what, you know what was the difference? The Lord began to break in me this nonchalant, it's okay, just as long as we're doing some stuff and kind of getting along and doing my daily work. And you know, I'm living an okay life. I do a little bit of this and that and the other thing. Began to break that in me. And I began under His leadership to seek Him. And when I began to experience the joy of the Lord, I remember Him saying, pray for joy. You see, what God forgot is that I had already been teaching about joy several years before. So I didn't need to pray for it. Tony, I already knew it. I taught it. I go back and look at my notes. My notes precede that. I knew all about joy. I knew it doctrinally, but I didn't know it sufficiently personally. What is broken 
in me the issue of sin. Not that I don't sin, but that it no longer has the activities in me and it is not coming back as a prolonged, continuing activity in this man. Under the grace of God, it will not come back. Not because of me, but by the grace of God. It was the joy of the Lord. That personal experience and presence. You see, this cost God everything. It cost God everything. The cross. You see, this child was born to die for our sin so that in his death we would have his life. Romans 6.10 The death that Jesus died, he died to sin once and for all. Never to shed the blood again. Never. In 5.10 of Romans, we shall be saved in his resurrection life. You see, it's not enough just to celebrate the birth of Jesus. It's not enough. That's not what God is after. In fact, I don't think God cares at all whether we have a Christmas time. Especially considering what it's degenerated into in the church. I don't care what the world does. <laughs> it's the church. God isn't concerned that Walmart does something. He's concerned about the church doing something. Don't worry about Walmart and the news media. And the TV and the movies. It's the church that God is interested in. Because that's the people of His death and raised Son. You see, it's not enough to celebrate the birth. We must celebrate Jesus' personal presence, life in us, persistently, patiently pursuing Him. If you haven't done so, start today. Started. We must abide in His love, remain, continue in His love. Philippians 2 9 says this. I've forgotten what it says. <laughs> it's okay. For this reason, God also has exalted him and has given him a name which is above every name. I asked you this this morning. What is his name to us this morning? What is his name? Presence? Good times? Fun? Okay. What is his name to me, to you this morning? What is his name, church? Is His name in me what His name really is to God? Do you know this one, His name? Do you know Him as Redeemer? Are you here this morning not knowing Him as Redeemer? I, I just go to church. I just have never really... In been experiencing that. I just don't know what you're talking about. This morning, you can know Him as Redeemer. The one who's purchased you back. Do you know Him as Savior? The one who gives you eternal life. Life abundantly now and forevermore. That personal intimacy with God. 
You know him as the one who transforms, the transformer, the one who changes us so fundamentally that today we ought to be able to say, I am not only different today than I was yesterday, but I'm so different you wouldn't even recognize me. I am that different in all categories of my life, needing much more, but that's how far God has done in me. Do we know him as the captain of the hosts of the Lord? Do we know him as our great captain, the one to whom we give total allegiance and surrendering of our wills? Do we know him this morning as love? Do we know him as our joy? Do we know him as our peace? Is he my patience? Is he my kindness? Is he goodness? Is he gentleness? Is he faithfulness? Is he self-control in me? What is His name in me? Who is He to us? Who is He? Is He literally and actually, fully, all that I am and all that I ever want to be? Is that who He is this morning to us? The only way to truly celebrate the birth of this child the only way to celebrate the way God wants us to, the way they did that evening in that field in Bethlehem, to celebrate the birth of this child, is to persistently and passionately and patiently pursue the pronounced presence of His person in me. It's the only way to celebrate Christmas then it becomes a way of life. What He did then, He will do now. Are we wanting and willing to make that our most wanted desire? Do you mostly want Jesus? Or are we giving in to the lesser wants? Church this morning, let's be a church that mostly wants Him for His reward and our reward. So you see, in all of that, no wonder the angel said, joy to the world. No wonder the angel said, joy to the world. This is dangerous. Let's stand together. <clears throat> Oh, come let us adore 
celebrate the work that you've come to do. God, we we rejoice in your presence here with us. We rejoice in Emmanuel, God living in us, taking up his residence in us, glorifying himself through us. Lord, may this season be an opportunity for us to celebrate your greatness, to celebrate your presence in us, to rejoice in your goodness. I don't want us to be dismissed just yet. And I'd like to ask everybody just to to bow your head for a moment and allow the Lord a a moment of personal interaction with you. I have a sense that uh, there may be someone here, maybe more than one, who Peter's words, he said, you have to have a me and God experience me and God experience. And I had a sense that there are some folks here that you're not sure you've had a me and God experience. And and maybe the question that's in your mind right now is, well, how do you know? How do you know if you've had a me and God experience? And I don't know how much I can help you with this response. But the most clarifying thing I can tell you is, oh, you'll know. And so if you don't know, that may indicate that you haven't had a me and God experience. If you're wondering what that is, that Samaritan woman, the woman at the well that Peter described, when she met Jesus Christ and she had that me and God experience, her whole outlook changed. She became different. She ran back to a town and she lived differently from that moment on. Something had been unlocked in her soul. And she knew the answer that she longed for in her heart finally had arrived. And, and everything changed. It didn't matter what people thought. The outlook that she had about how she felt about herself and about her failure and about her life and about people, it all changed when she encountered this supernatural person named Jesus Christ. That, that man who had been paralyzed, when he met Christ, he went walking and leaping and praising God. His outlook changed. See, there, life looked different. There was a different feel to it all of a sudden. 
so in some ways, I don't quite know how to put into words. But I know I remember having a me and God experience. Now listen, I remember being religious too. I remember singing the songs we've sung today. I remember Christmas carols. I remember standing in a church and going through the liturgy and saying all the things when I was prompted to say it. And then I remember having a me and God experience. And then I remember going back to that church and singing those songs and and mouthing those words. And all of a sudden, it was like it went from black and white to living color. I don't know what happened. But I was different. So if you're here this morning, you're saying, well, I don't know if I've had a me and God experience. Well, Well, then maybe you haven't. And maybe you're like many of us who lived a portion of our lives without ever having had that ourselves. Can, can the Lord offer you that this morning? Can He tell you, you're here this morning, they were about to dismiss this service, and that guy standing there right now heard me say, no, wait, there's somebody here who hasn't had a me and God experience. Everybody here this morning is waiting for you. <laughs> they could go home right now, except that God knew you were here today. And he wanted to make sure you didn't leave here today without knowing him in a way that would radically affect your life forever. And from now on, you would know. You wouldn't say, I don't know if I have. No, no, you'll know. Well, how can you have that experience? Well, what Christ wants is he wants, he doesn't want a little piece of you. He wants all of you. I just want you to do as Peter said, give a little money, give a little time, allowance, I think Peter said. We allow God to have a little peace. The way to really have a you and God experience is to come to him this morning saying, God, this morning, I yield my whole life to you. I surrender it to you. Jesus Christ, I trust you more than I trust myself more than I trust any person, more than I trust my goodness or any religious activity. I trust you. And I put my life in your hands. And I take my control off of my life. I give it to you. I want you to have me from now on. If you will pray that, and I'm not even going to give you words for it, you just begin right now in your own heart. Say, God, I want that. What he just said, I want that. I want this day, it was December the 23rd, 2006. God, I want to remember this day was the day when I thrust open the door of my heart and I said, here, Lord, you come, take control from this moment on. I don't want anything more than I want you. And if you'll open your life to him that way this morning, I guarantee you, he will come. He will come into your life. He will come affect your life. And I can't tell you all the ways that you'll be different. You're going to begin to encounter God. You'll begin to encounter Him this year. I guarantee you're going to sing some Christmas songs this year. And all of a sudden there's going to be words in them that you're going to say, Oh, I never knew those words meant that. And your eyes are going to be open to that. You're going to think about God. You're going to remember that picture, as Peter said, on Christmas morning. You're going to remember as gifts are being given out and people have joy of giving those gifts. And you're going to remember that God right now has the greatest gift in your life because He gave you His Son. And you're going to remember that in a whole different way. Things that were familiar to you are going to go from black and white to living color. 
And God is going to begin to impact your life all over the place. Because this morning, He did something profound, but simple. You opened your life, you surrendered it to Jesus Christ, and you've trusted Him. Father, I thank You that You welcome us to do exactly that. Lord, we all know in our own hearts we have, we've fallen short of ever being worthy of who You are. Lord, we're not worthy to receive the gift of eternal life. We're not good candidates for it. Yet, Lord, You came and You found us. And you knocked and you've waited and you've been patient and you've taught us and you reveal things to us and you've brought people into our lives. And Lord, even this morning, you've allowed for us to hear your voice personally. Oh God, you are so gracious to us. How could we not respond in trust of such a one as yourself? Lord, I pray for specifically for those who are here this morning that for perhaps the first time in their life, They're going to realize the profound truth of Emmanuel, God, with us and in us every day from this day forward for the rest of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.